Good morning and welcome to The Breakfast Show. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8, 88 on the internet. Wherever you are, you are listening to us this morning in the Faith FM studio. You are joined by myself, Lawson, and my fantastic co-host for this week, filling in for Danuta. We've got Matthew in the studio as well as producer Pete getting it done uh, as uh, producer Shell, DJ Shell is away as well. But hey man, how are you this morning? I'm living on grace today because uh, as I shared with you in the car, Lawson. Oh, true. Oh man, I've been uh, practicing for a special item with my family, uh, mm. but we practiced uh, last minute. So it's from uh, you know, 9.30 at night all the way up to three o'clock in the morning. Wow, that is so hectic. For what? Like, okay, this is what I'm trying to wrap my head around. Yeah. For one song... Yeah, one song that uh, we didn't, uh, we haven't done for about maybe five years now. Wow! And you'd think that we'd know it, we still don't know it. Yeah, so, <laughs> well, so what's like the accompaniment that you, you're doing with that? Like, what, what kind of arrangement have you got there? So, I'm doing the one by Gaither. It's a song called um, "You Are My All in All," mm. and this one has harmonies in it because we sang it like just just straight, no harmonies But in the past, but now we're trying to add it, uh, more flavour to it. So it's harmonies and it's also, uh, it's got some minor chords in there. So it's like you go for a bright way of singing the song in the first verse mm. and in the second verse it goes into a bit of a, like a, like a valley or the shadow of death oh. and then you come out of it again. Yeah, man. Oh, that's <laughs> intense. Oh, but I mean, that's uh, like... I've I've been a part recently of a number of different musical things, like as a as a musician, whether playing bass or piano or whatever it may be. But yeah, that's dude. Like, what is that from nine a.m. to nine p.m. to three a.m. practicing the one song? Like, not like not that intense. We usually we usually give one song like maybe ten minutes attention, and then after that, it's like, all right, let's move on to the next thing. Well, coming up in today's show, we are going to be having some amazing, positively different news. We're going to be doing an interview with John Ashton, Dr. John Ashton as well, regarding all things biology and science and the Bible, as well as looking at, oh, sorry, I wanted to get to yesterday, actually, uh, regarding Christian counselling. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You are listening to The Breakfast Show this morning on Faith FM. You are joined by myself, Lawson. You've got Matthew as well in the studio this morning. And Matthew, would you be able to get our first question for the quiz today? Absolutely. So our first question off the ranks is fill in the blank. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen blank. But I go to awaken him. That's John chapter 11, verse 11. I'll share that again. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen blank, but I go to awaken him. That's in John chapter 11, verse 11. Wow. 0491 is the number two text if you know the answer to that one. And if you do, you'll go into the draw to win our amazing prize for this week. We have Unveiling the Kings of Israel, Revealing the Bible's Archaeological History. That one by David Down. It's an amazing book, an 
awesome research uh, resource, sorry, getting into all the research that's been done into archaeology uh, regarding the Bible and and confirming, well, from the ground, the amazing ways in which God has worked and all of the things that are in the Bible uh, that we can see also working throughout history. If you know the answer to that one, 0491-064-669 is the number to text. So we've all already got a ton of you guys texting in with a bunch of answers. Again, that number 0491-064-669. Get your answers in so that you can go into the draw to win this prize, which will be drawn tomorrow. So you guys are quickly running out of opportunities to get in for the quiz. And the more answers you give, the more questions you answer correctly, the more chances you have to win the draw. So again, that number 0491-064-669. Hey, Matthew, yes. what is happening in the world of positively different news? This is a great story for you, Brother Lawson, and mm-hmm. for our friends listening. So I've got this here off the cuff, and I'll start reading it here. It mm-hmm. says, there's still beauty. A national park bounces back after California's biggest single fire. Yeah, for sure. And as you, you know, I know... Uh, we experienced bad fires here in New South Wales. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it was back in 2019, just 2019, prior to COVID. Yep. Oh, man, that was devastating. Uh, we got a brother named Jaden Green. Mm-hmm. He was going over to Israel. And he said as he was flying over, like down past the Lifco area, he could see a big stretch wow. crossing all that um, all our main bush just up in flames and it looked like more clouds adding to the clouds but it was actually smoke. Yeah, that's right. Well, there was even smoke that settled like all the way over in New Zealand from the fires that were happening here in Australia. But yeah, as you're highlighting now, California, they have been dr- like dramatically affected by wildfires that have broken out over there, you know, throughout the years. And almost every summer they have really huge wildfires going on in that place. Absolutely. Like, as you know, California, renowned. I mean, even Hollywood superstars don't escape those fires with their houses up in flames, unfortunately. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so it's, this is the, the Dixie Fire of 2021, mm. which was the largest single blaze in California's history. But even this human-accelerated firestorm couldn't tamp, or tamp down the resilience of nature. Mm. As the Dixie Fire came closer and closer to this remote national park that receives only around, I think, 500,000 visitors a year, and, you know, it has rangers there as well. It's got forest mm-hmm. service employees and firefighters who strategized how to protect small communities living near the park as well as the park's infrastructure. So hence, there's a variety of controlled burns. And I love how the fact, like in Australia, we have our native Aboriginals, our First Nation people, mm-hmm. that know the importance of getting rid of like excess scrub Mm. Otherwise, they act as fuel sources. Mm. So do the Indians, interestingly enough. Mm. Our Indigenous Indians, um, you know, they're the Native Americans, they also reduce the risk of wildfires who have too much dead and dry wood and scrub to burn. Mm. And they were set in vulnerable forests, this, this scrub. So they used also earth moving equipment left, um, that left bare earth surrounding the Kom Yamani Visitor Center. Now, in the moments before the Dixie Fire arrived, firefighters, uh, you know, they lit their own fires around key areas. I guess, you know, there's that backburning that we do mm-hmm. here in New South Wales. And also perhaps hoping to consume the oxygen in the area just before the immense flames could use it to spread. For as you and I know, oxygen is the main thing that causes fires to keep going. Yeah, it's, it's their fuel source. Absolutely. Mm. Now, the question is here, so what has happened to date, Brother Lawson? Well, mm. 24 months and change 
since the Dixie Fires burn has happened. So there are parts of the landscape which can be seen exploding with new growth. There's, mm. you know, there's pines that require fire to release their seeds. They're sprouting, and from the blackened earth and fields of wildflowers and native grasses cover the hillsides now of ravaged trees. And mm. I've got a nice verse that suits this. You know, one day we're going to have a new place, a new home. Mm. All this, you know, it's going to disappear. And it says here in um, Revelation chapter. 21, and, and it's verses 1 onwards, it goes on like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven mm. from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Mm, absolutely. And it's fantastic to see, like, restoration is a theme in the Bible that is, well, very much applying to us as human beings. I think in the end of the day, that there will be a restoration of this earth, but that doesn't, it doesn't look like, uh, I would say, like, just a, a, a mere regeneration of what's on earth, but firstly, a total, total destruction of what's going, you know, a total destruction of this earth followed by the rebuilding of it and with the fires that you can see there, we kind of get a, a bit of a glimpse of that, like the total and utter destruction of a piece of earth, you know, just completely scorched. But out of it, we can still see, as you said, it's like the resilience of nature. But of course, that resilience is instilled into it by God. But it's amazing when we look forward to what is going to come in the future, what we have to look forward to in terms of a new earth. Like, we we live on an earth that is, like, incredibly beautiful, picturesque, and amazing. Yet, we're, like, a couple curses deep into, you know, curses of the earth, you know, and, and the food that we're able to grow and, and everything. We're, we're like, we're very much a step down from God's ideal. So looking forward to like, man, what the new earth will be like in terms of its nature, in terms of its food and its, its food sources and, and whatnot. Oh, we have so much to look forward to. Well, i got a question. Could you imagine what kind of fruit and vegetables they would have? Oh, and yum. we typically associate a pear with a pear, pumpkin with a pumpkin, cucumber with a cucumber. Mm. But what could you imagine eating up there that will resemble anything that you like down here? Yeah, well, I, it's like, okay, so my favourite fruit, and I've said this a bunch on the show, I am a huge green apple enjoyer. Mm. I love green apples so much. I think they're the best fruit. Then they're like an apple, which I think apples are fantastic fruit anyway. But green apples, they're like so sweet. They're like that bit sour kind of thing. It's, you know, eating green apples is almost like eating lollies. Like it's, it's amazing. Yet, like, I know that in heaven, what we're going to have to eat will far supersede the taste and the juiciness and the satisfaction will, that that comes from eating a green apple here on earth. And I know, like like a lot of people, yeah, they can point to different fruits and whatnot. Uh, what's your What's your favorite fruit? Well, it's interesting. This fruit actually tastes like a like meat I used to have when I was into my island indulgence, which is corned beef, which I used to eat uh, before I became vegetarian. Corned beef is not a fruit. No, it's not. Well, what's the fruit? So you won't believe it. It's called a banana heart. Uh huh. And I had this in the Philippines, and our host there that helped you know, allowed us to reside with them, they made for us a dish where they fried um, cut up banana heart, and it ta- I kid you not, brother Lawson, it tasted like corned beef. 
That is wild. It's a stumper, isn't it? That's... That I am... Okay. I mean, they have done a similar thing with, like, jackfruit and yes. whatnot. They, yes, they have. But... Yeah, banana heart. I've never even heard of that before. Banana heart. Banana heart. But it's it's good. Is that that's like your current favorite fruit? You'd say. Well, um, in terms of favorite fruit, I love watermelon and mangoes. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. classic. That's so. That's you know, watermelon and mango for me. I think they're the two most overrated fruit. I always stir controversy by saying that, particularly with mango. I'm not a huge fan of mango. People are like. What's wrong with you? In fact, it's like, well, yeah, one of my least faves. And uh, so, hey, such is life. Uh, but, but yeah, we have something to look for, forward to. And it's amazing that there'll be 12 of them, like a fruit for each season. And I think Absolutely. that different variants and whatnot that we'll see in heaven. And we'll just be like incredibly satisfied with the amazing selection and variety that God has to share with us in heaven. That comes from this earth's total destruction and regeneration. Hey, right now, this is John Thurlow with John the Baptist. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You are listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM, and you are joined by myself, Lawson, and Matthew as well, as we, hey, we're we're doing all things positively different radio this morning, and would you be able to get our next quiz question for us? Indeed. So, our next quiz question is, what were the names of the twins who wrestled in their mother's womb? Ah, okay. So, what were the names of the twins who wrestled in their mother's womb? Yeah, these people had some some beef from young. If you know who that is, zero robbery. That's right. Hey, zero four eight one zero six four six six nine is the number to text. What's our prize for this week, Matthew? Yeah. So our prize is unveiling the kings of Israel. So unveiling mm-hmm. the kings of Israel, and it's looking at the discovery of archaeology that proves the historic historicity of the Bibles. For instance, mm. it's looking at the tabernacle, um, you know, the temple sacraments, the Solomon's temple, even mm. even the Dead Sea Scrolls. Wow. So yeah, awesome stuff there. Hey, actually, speaking of some artifacts. We've got a text message coming in from William. He says, Hi, uh, can I please have some information on what the Tut Truck Mobile Unit Visiting Schools is all about? Thanks. Do a brief uh, 20 second uh, yeah. information on it. Basically, the Tut Roadshow goes anywhere between, inside New South Wales, uh, as south as Leeton and as north as Lismore, mm-hmm. and inland towards Tamworth. Now, it's a semi-trailer pulled by a prime mover. That semi-trailer is divided into three rooms. The first two rooms are dedicated to Tutankhamun, where the first room is called the Code Room, because it looks at the Rosetta Stone. Second mm. room is the Tomb Room, looking mm. at the sarcophagus, and it leads into the third room, which is the Dead Sea Scroll Room. And that mm. looks at the veracity, the authenticity of the Dead Sea Scrolls and how they were found by the Qumran, Qumran, Qumran Caves mm. by the Dead Sea back in 1947. Amazing. And of course, like you bring these to different places and you take people on a tour through the truck and they get all this insight into all of these, you know, historical artifacts. But particularly, like, I, I think the thing that I really appreciate is that it's ultimately a ministry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, you can have some kids that come in there thinking, you know, when we go to Christian schools that they have the faith, but there's some kids that, you know, um, have not read their Bibles. And there was an incident where. This instance where the, we have these artifacts, it's called the, as I shared earlier, it's Nebuchadnezzar's bricks, mm. um, and it has a signature on it. And I share with the kids, you can find that story in Daniel, yeah, in the book of Daniel. And then later on, there's another artifact in there, it's called the Cyrus Cylinder, and that looks mm-hmm. at uh, 
you know, you could find that story about in Isaiah. This young fellow said, is this true? He looked up, looked it up in Google. He could see that it is true because, you know, Cyrus is the one that freed the, um, the, uh, well, they were called Israelites then, or called the Hebrew people, mm. Hebrew slaves. Uh, after seventy year captivity of Nebuchadnezzar, and he was just stoked. He was yeah. blown away. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's oh, amazing, amazing pieces of history there, and confirming what the Bible says to be true as well. So, hey, in some more current news, uh, some some interesting news. A story came across my desk about a Christian counselor in the UK. His name is King Lawal. He is of, you know, African descent, which makes very much sense for his name. Like, if you, if you know, um, like, not every single African, but I know a fair few Africans whose, like, their names are like memory or beauty or patience or precious or, or in this case, uh, King. And so King King is a councillor in Northamptonshire for the Unitary Council there, and he is, well, counselling people, he is helping people, he is, you know, uh, interacting with people and, and, and giving them encouragement and all, all kinds of things. Like, it's, it's, he is uh, a part of this, you know, counselling group. And as a counselor, like, again, his job is to lead people to a better situation or a better life in terms of their mental and emotional health, health and whatnot. But he is a Christian as well. And he using his social media to voice his opinion on, on a platform. Uh, you know, there was a particular post on Twitter, which is now known as X, and it was displaying some pride, uh, some, some, some LGBT type parades and whatnot having uh, going on that are called like pride parades, right? And he, uh, and you can see the word pride everywhere. And he like shares the that post, but then responds to it saying, when did pride become a thing to celebrate? Because of pride, um, Satan fell as an arc as an archangel, pride is not a virtue but a sin. Those who have pride should repent of their sins and return to Jesus Christ. He can save you. Now, the point that he's trying to make, although like I assume from this that he is taking, he has a traditional uh, biblical stance on sexuality. The point that he's making is that to then, uh, uh, to, to use the label of pride to represent all alternative forms of sexuality and whatnot, like, is, is also a bad thing. Just to use pride to represent anything, um, pride, pride is a sin. And, and it was like one of the original sins. It, well, like, pride and covetousness and whatnot, ego of oneself to lift self up, like, that is the very thing that caused Satan to fall right. from heaven is that he in his heart said, I will be like God. I will be like the most high. And he is making a very obvious connection between like, okay, these people uh, are advocating for this alternative sexual lifestyle uh, and they're using it under the, well, and they're promoting it under the guide of, of pride that, oh yes, you know, we should have pride in this and we should, we should be, we should have pride in ourselves because of this very thing. And he's like, nah, like pride, the concept of, of pride is a sin. Because of this, he was removed from his job 
as a counsellor. Wow. Uh, he was removed from his role and he was removed from several other, you know, roles in organisations and whatnot that he was, uh, he was connected to and forced to resign from his own company, which he had built and grown. So, so he was essentially cancelled. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially. So he was working in conjunction with a number of companies as a counselor, but then running his own counseling company with a number of other people, which he then had to resign from himself for writing on Twitter that pride is a sin, which is like, again, like orthodox, biblical doctrine yeah this is this is bible verses like like resist the proud like that that is is a bible verse like uh, pride comes before the fall like that these are bible verses and reflecting on this obviously in the lgbt context but he's like yes pride is a sin and he's been forced to resign from his own company he's been cancelled and 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 forced to you know remove himself from from, oh, he has been forcefully removed from several organizations. Uh, now, he was supported by a group called Christian Legal Center uh, to take legal action against um, the, you know, the council and against you know, the various organizations and whatnot, because it's like, why should his livelihood be at threat when he's perfectly capable of doing his job? Uh, he just has an opinion that he voiced on a social media platform about, again, he doesn't, he didn't right this this is what's so key like this is what's so important he didn't get on there and write i hate gay people no he didn't get on there and write oh i think that uh you know they shouldn't they they, like like you know uh, gay people shouldn't be open and vocal about how they feel about their sexuality he wrote pride is a sin yeah like that, that that that's what he said like pride is a sin pride is the sin that satan committed uh, therefore, don't don't participate in in pride or being proud, and he lost everything because of it. And now, um, thankfully, the there has been a, an investigation. A local authority um, and their standards committee have looked into this, and he has been completely reinstated into his roles and his positions because they ultimately found like this guy, King L- Lowell is not attempting to be offensive or or hurtful or or to attack any particular individual or even the lifestyle itself he's just saying being proud is a sin and i, I think it, it just holds you know, i will reflects the because of the the stances that people have and because of the the deep personal connections that they feel towards them and the fact that they they identify or they, they use these you know various things to to identify so much with is that there's this high level of offense that comes with that uh, that they have and and to jump the gun and just say oh you're attacking me, me personally. Uh, you're attacking me personally and it but it's fantastic to see that despite you know all of this happening and and the the persecution that this person faced they were able to get reinstated into their roles and they're able to do their work again helping people through their emotional uh, issues. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. You are listening to the Breakfast Show here on Faith FM, and we are going to get our next quiz question. Gladly. So the next question is: How many times did God call out to young Samuel in the night as he was lying down in the house of the Lord? And I'll read that again. 
Mm. How many times did God call out to young Samuel in the night as he was lying down in the house of the Lord? Mm, Absolutely. Hey, if you know how many times it was that he called out, which is such an epic story. Like, actually, this story is the, it's the first ever passage in the Bible that I preached on all the way back when I was a brand new Christian and I felt compelled, like, I want to, I want to share how I feel. You know, the Bible speaks to me. And it was all about, you know, this story of God calling out to Samuel, this young guy, because I felt like a young guy who had been called out by, you know, called out to God by. And, and, and so, hey, if you know the answer though, how many times it was that God called out? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine. Man, some people are incredibly quick. We've already got correct answers coming through. So, guys, if you want to get in for this draw for this uh, for this amazing prize, being revealing the kings of Israel and the archaeology of biblical history and the archaeological evidence of biblical history, mate, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to be competitive. You're gonna have to get these answers in. That being said, just one answer could win you the. Win, the, win you the draw for this week. It has happened. So, so it's, it's, this is your opportunity. 0491-064-669. That is the number to text to let us know how many times it was that God called out to Samuel in the night. You're listening to The Breakfast Show this morning, and on the line we have none other than Dr. John Ashton to share with us all things, well, some more specific things, regarding science and biology and the Bible. John, are you there with us? Uh, yes, good morning, Alison. Yeah, we are stoked to have you on the show as we get you on pretty, I would say, semi-regularly to talk about, well, fields that you have great expertise in, which is fields of science, and particularly today, talking about genetic research and how it supports the biblical creation account. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, it's a shame I uh, hear that... Um, yeah, many Christians are adopting this view of theistic evolution because mm. they've uh, been convinced that um, you know life on Earth is uh, uh, you know millions of years old, and they read the you know the different articles about, um, for example, mitochondrial Eve, the original sort of uh, our, our uh, mitochondria DNA seems mm. to uh, focus back on one uh, particular. Uh, woman because we inherit our uh, <clears throat> mitochondrial DNA from our mother mm-hmm. um, and uh, back in um, in Africa and if you sort of look on the internet they'll give dates for this about 200,000 years mm-hmm. and so forth and so people begin to doubt the um, time scale but in actual fact the genetics research powerfully actually supports a young earth and so wow. what's happening is that and we've noticed this for some time, that our DNA is actually accumulating mutations. Sure. And um, and so each generation in uh, uh, sort of has a few more mutations in its DNA than mm-hmm. the previous generation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in actual fact, we're all declining. And all life is accumulating these DNA, these replication errors mm-hmm. um, that are passed on. And... Um, in the past, when they looked at uh, our mitochondrial DNA, now mitochondria is a, a, a sort of a cellular system that's responsible for uh, generating our energy. So it's it's quite uh, important. And a lot of research has been done uh, on this particular uh, aspect or area of uh, DNA, particularly in terms of measuring 
um, uh, mutation rates. And it's interesting that um, when they measured the, originally the mutation rates, they calibrated against the scan, standard geological time scale mm-hmm. and um, the and sort of work was published um, uh, back in the 1990s um, that uh, and that led to this uh, belief that uh, you know the the first sort of proper human so you've got this picture of sort of some ape-like creature that we evolved from apes mm-hmm. uh, some ape-like uh, creature and are gradually into more what we class as a hominoid as I said about 200,000 years ago but what actually happened was um, they began actually, uh, analyzing the DNA in remains of historical people. So they were able to access, uh, samples of, uh, people who had actually died, you know, famous kings, famous people that were buried and so forth. Mm. And so what happened was they were actually able to measure this, um, the substitution rate of errors, um, in the DNA. Uh, against actual historical known dates going Mm. back quite a long way. And the fascinating thing is that when they looked at that and and actually quoting an article that was uh, published in Nature Genetics, so Nature nature and Science are the two probably top science journals in the world. So the leading researchers published in these journals have a very high standard to get your article uh, or your research in there. And um, in uh, an article in Nature Genetics published in 1997, uh, volume 15, page 363 to be precise, the guy quotes, using our empirical rate to calculate the mitochondrial uh, DNA molecular clock would result in an age of uh, the most recent common ancestor of only 6,500 wow. years. Uh-huh. And um, and then another another area that people might find easier to read was actually published in the journal Science mm-hmm. the following year in 1998. It's called, and you can Google this, you can look it up on the internet. You just uh, Google calibrating the mitochondrial clock. And that was published in the journal Science by Anne Gibbons. And this is what she uh, she wrote. Regardless of the cause, evolutionists are most concerned about the effect of a faster mutation rate. For example, researchers have calculated that mitochondrial Eve, the woman whose mitochondrial DNA was ancestral to all to that in all living people, lived 100,000 to 200,000 years ago in Africa. But using the new clock, and that is based on the actual data of using actual ages, she would be a mere 6,000 years old. So She goes on to say no one thinks that's the case, but at what point should the model switch? Mm-hmm. And so what they're saying is our theoretical model, based on the geological time scale that we assume of millions of years, gives us 200,000 years. But when we measure the actual rate using actual known historical dates where we're not, you know, estimating anything, this is actual real data, 
we get an age of just a mere 6,000 years. How cool is that? It's incredibly cool. And I guess what I can synthesize from, from what you're saying as well is that those mutation rates and the, the mutations that are actually taking place is the loss of genetic information rather than the gaining of genetic information, exactly. which yep. stands in stark uh, uh, contrast to the theory uh, that humanity has been evolving into a greater version and a more intelligent and more capable version of itself from you know uh, history and years unknowable to now, well, years unknowable as in like f- four billion years or f- millions and millions and millions of years, whatever it may be, is is that we're actually losing genetic information at a rate in which we're declining. And I believe the term that they use for that is called error catastrophe because it's ultimately, if we just keep going down that road, we lose enough genetic information to just be without it, right? Which, that's right. Which, yes, de- which definitely, that's mm. right, which definitely doesn't, uh, give us, and this is in, in, you know, all humans, and it definitely doesn't portray a picture of a human race that has grown into, you know, a better state, but has declined from a better state. Mm, yes, and of course, we're actually observing this in, in medicine. Um, the uh, John Hopkins uh, uh, um, uh, genetic uh, diseases database is just increasing all the time. There's now over 10,000 human genetic diseases that are registered. Wow. And they're diseases caused by genetic defects, defects in our, our DNA. So, mm. um, And this is the thing that actually surprised the scientists when they were doing the uh, the research and uh, one of the early things were looking at the rate of haemophilia, uh, which is uh, particularly prominent in some uh, European um, aristocratic families and, and so forth, uh, and kings of Europe. And so they were able to access the DNA from samples uh, from these um, these kings and, and queens. And this is what they they found, that the mutation rate was much, much higher than they, um, so it was in the order of 20 times higher than what they had initially estimated that it would be. And the fact that this mutation rate 20 times mightn't be, um, uh, you know, seem like a lot, but the thing is that the, this mutation rate sort of acts exponentially. And so it's, um, it, it really increases, uh, a 20 fold increase in mutation rate greatly increases. Uh, the rapid, the rapidity of accumulating, accumulating mutations. Mm. So one of the other really exciting things that came out too was when they began, uh, doing, uh, studying the mutation rates in different animals. Uh, like I was reading a paper to quite recently about the mutation rate in sperm whales because they've been able to get samples of, you know, sperm whale, uh, DNA going back. Uh, that are being preserved. Again, when they look at all the different animals, they all go back to the same age. In other words, the the, the mitochondrial, you know, uh, sperm whale, so to speak, because, uh, again, in all, all mammals, say, uh, and these animals we inherit it the same way, they all come back to the same age. And yet in the evolutionary model, you have this, this this line, you know, that originally you had fish and then reptiles and sure. then you know, birds, mammals and so forth. So they should be all different ages. 
But this is another thing that's puzzling scientists. They all go back the same age again, which fits mm. the creation model. And so this is really exciting stuff. And so what uh, that is getting, but it's not sort of getting out in the general public like it's hidden away in discussion mm. in papers. It doesn't mean, you know, reach the main title of the paper or, uh, you know, get into the journalist headlines sort of mm. thing. Um, so this, but this is all really exciting. How much the uh, genetics research is pointing that life on Earth is must only be thousands of years old because if it was any older than that, the accumulation of mutations would be so great that eventually life would fail. Wow. And um, yeah, and the limits on this are somewhere between. 10,000 and 100,000 years. Now, I've mm. done some calculations on this myself, looking at the data that's been published in journals such as Nature. Mm. And uh, so this, again, is powerful evidence that the long-age evolutionary model uh, fails and, and powerful evidence supporting um, the, the the Bible account of yeah. the history of the world. Absolutely. And, and I think particularly for us as Christians, it's, well, I guess from the outside perspective, from a non-Christian perspective, it's like, wow, okay, that's a convincing uh, piece of evidence to draw me towards Christianity. But from the inside as well, like, there has been a shift, as you have said, unfortunately, in the Christian community towards a perspective that is, you know, uh, evolutionary based and I guess disregarding of the biblical creation account as some type of, you know, mythological story. But even the science itself, it, it seems, is holding up the the literal nature of that story and of the Bible. And we don't need to play the game of, oh, this is this is literal and this isn't literal when it comes to the creation account because the science itself is backing it up. Yes, and I think this is a very important point. I saw um, a, a televised uh, discussion between um, the uh, evolutionist uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, Dr. Richard Dawkins, mm. and um, uh, one of the uh, heads of the Church of England. In uh, And unfortunately, many of um, those folk have unfortunately adopted the uh, long ages view. And uh, the this uh, particular uh, 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 clergyman was pointing out, yes, you know, we understand that, you know, evolution, we believe that God used evolution. Mm. And um, so he said, so there was no Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were a myth. Yes, Adam and Eve were a myth. And so then Dawkins rapidly replied and said, so Jesus died for a myth. So, you know, Jesus died for the sins of, of Adam sort of thing. So, uh, again, it it just points the whole theology that Jesus himself explained and Paul explained, of course, Jesus referred to, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, Abel as being a real person. He talked about the uh, the death of Abel and, and Zachariah sort of thing, compared them and talked about how in the beginning God made them male and female. So um, it, it's... Um, and Eve talks about, you know, Adam as the, you know, Jesus became the, the sort of the, the second Adam that died in our place. So, again, that the whole structure of, of salvation 
falls away once we adopt that picture, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. It's we, we need salvation from sin and the results of sin, which is death. And hey, if God used death to, uh, to, to make us, well then, yeah, what are we, what are we really being saved from? Hey, John Ashton, thank you so much for sharing with us this morning these amazing insights into nature and the things happening there. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800- Faith FM.